Dear God, we thank you. Wouldn't trade that in for a million dollars. What a wonderful demonstration of your spirit. Praise the Lord. How can we not be touched when such a spirit descends upon us? How can we not be moved by the spirit of God that unites heaven and earth in our midst? Thank you. It's exactly what we needed this morning. And I pray, Lord, that what we've experienced here, we counted one as a privilege, and two, Lord, we don't take it for granted that the spirit of the living God in a small place despise not the small things with no fanfare, but in a small place, a little flock is touched by the hand of the living God. It's amazing. It's simply amazing. Touch us this morning as we speak. Let your heart flow through my lips. Help us to see that we are sitting in heavenly places. So appropriate a title as to what we just experienced. We give you the glory, Lord. It's all about you. It's not about us. In Jesus' name, amen. My title is Sitting in Heavenly Places. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. God has endued us with his ability and his strength. He's given us the power of authority, which is the power of influence. And he's given us the power of right, of privilege. We possess authority. The word power means a sign of regal authority, a crown where kings and priests unto the Lord and it's possible with the words that God puts in our spirit to change the destiny of another human being. To translate them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How have we become the sons and daughters of God? Have you ever thought? How was it made possible? Back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 15, the first prophecy of the coming of the Lord. And he said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I want you to follow this for a moment. God said, I will put hatred and animosity 
between you, Eve, and the serpent. It means to be hostile and to treat as an enemy. It means to declare war. God was so disturbed by what happened in the garden. He created Adam from dust. Put him in the garden to manage the garden. And he failed. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned, that God drove out Adam. He didn't want to leave. Look for yourself. And he put angels there with flaming swords so Adam could not enter in again with Eve into the garden. It's through the born-again experience that we can experience a spiritual garden of Eden. It's through a born-again experience where we don't have to hide behind a tree with fig leaves that we can become the sons and daughters of God. So God brought this thought to me. What was the infatuation Eve had with the serpent that now the relationship turned to hatred? Think about it. The serpent wasn't always on the belly. The serpent was upright and the serpent was able to speak. I don't know what that serpent looked like. But what was the infatuation that Eve had that she can take her attention away from Adam and entertain the seducing spirit and voice of the serpent? Was there a sick love that developed for the seductive spirit serpent that was upright and able to speak that would cause her to eat what God told her and Adam not to partake of? Follow. What was the pull and the attraction that she allowed the serpent who was not on his belly yet, to persuade her to sin. A seductive spirit. I went to Matthew Henry's commentary, and he says this as I quote, to back up what I feel the Lord gave me. It says, observe here, the serpent and the woman had just now been very familiar and friendly in discourse about the forbidden fruit. And a wonderful agreement there was between them. But here they are irreconcilably set at variance. Note, sinful friendships justly end in mortal feuds. Those that unite in wickedness will not unite long. End of quote, Matthew Henry. Infatuation. Luke chapter 10 verse 18 says this. Jesus and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning that fell from heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. God's establishing something here. John chapter 12 verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out was cast out of heaven. He came into the world. He moved upon the serpent into the garden. And he was able to cause a cataclysmic catastrophe, an earthquake that caused mankind to come under the sinful curse of sin. 
In John chapter 16, verse 11, it says, Of judgment, because of the prince of this world is judged. So what happens? He takes one-third of the angels from heaven. They become demonic spirits. He comes down. He invades the garden that was without sin. Something had to happen to overthrow the power of the enemy. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, it says this, Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? It's a question. And then he will spoil his house. Luke chapter 11, verse 22 reads this, But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. Ephesians 4.8 Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Hebrews 2.14 Very important. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now follow this. The enemy was able to go into a perfect garden because God gave man a free choice. And God gave rules and regulations. And God said, this is the rules and these are the regulations. Of all of this, you can have. Of that over there, you can't have. It was simple. Simple instruction. But Adam did not man the garden. And Eve, as a result, was infatuated with the serpent and he seduced her into thinking, well, God didn't say that. And surely you will not die. What happened? The Bible says that God, through death, might destroy him that had the power of death. The word destroy in Greek means to do away with and abolish. It means to loose. It means to deliver. It means to unemploy. It means to inactivate. Follow. To cause a person or thing to have no further efficiency. I love that. To deprive of force, influence, and power. To put an end to. To do or be away and be done with. To be severed from. To render idle. So what's God saying? This powerful force that came into the garden, had to be dealt with. This powerful force that was thrown out of heaven, and Jesus said, I saw him as lightning fall from the sky, had to be dealt with. And how can you deal with it? Unless, what the Bible says, you have to enter into the strong man's house and spoil his goods. Jesus said, I'm coming. Jesus said, get ready. And the Bible says in Galatians, when the fullness of time was come, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, praise God, and Jesus grew and became a man and walked the earth, the fullness of time had come to do battle with the enemy. Hmm. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. How did I become born again? How did you become a son and daughter of God? Because God had to do battle with the enemy face to face. You see, I think the enemy has deceived the church. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have authority and power, because he does. He was able to cause a cataclysmic catastrophe and spiritual earthquake in the garden. And I'm not trying to minimize his authority. But what I'm trying to do is show you that someone was stronger than him. 
And someone walked into his house and said, I'm here to deal with you. And then Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, the influence of the enemy, the authority of the enemy, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Jesus rescued us. That's what the word delivered means. And he delivered us from the power of Satan. And his power had control over us while we were in sin. He had control over us. We needed someone to walk into our lives to say, cease and desist. I'm unemploying you. You're going to become inefficient. I'm going to do away with you because I'm going to take this person and praise God, take them out of spiritual blindness, which is darkness, take them out of ignorance of divine things and translate them into the kingdom of his dear son, which means what? To turn away from darkness and God move us into a different kingdom. This actually took place. This actually happened. It wasn't the blood of bulls or the blood of goats that could only cover sin. That was administered in the Old Testament. But a perfect lamb of God had to come. That's why when John saw him come into the water, he said, Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. They were cousins. But until that moment, John the Baptist did not know that his cousin was deity. Until he walked into that water and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was the perfect Lamb of God that came in the form of flesh. And the Holy Spirit descended and the heavens opened. And God spoke from heaven. That this was his dear son. This is a remarkable work that God did. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 it says, Wherefore God also highly exalted him, who? Jesus. And given him a name which is above every name. Stop right there, pastor. I don't care what you're experiencing. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what kingdom, power, principality, or ruler, or spiritual weakness is coming against you. And I'm not saying that that kingdom of darkness doesn't have some power. But I'm telling you there's one in our life that if we're sons and daughters of God, there's one in our life who says this, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Exalted means, praise God, to give the highest rank and the highest power and, re- and raise to supreme majesty above, beyond, and more than anything else in this world that, praise God, whatever you're experiencing, God is saying, I will put it, praise God, in the name of Jesus under my feet. We don't believe. We lapse into our own understanding. We're trying to figure this out. Our best thinking gets you where you are right now. And it doesn't work. And some people do that best thinking all their life and they die and go to the grave with their best thinking. Never, never, never reaching their potential. Always fighting the same battles. 
When we have power, and I'm going to show you that we have authority, because the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. God is saying, I've given you authority, I've given you influence, I've given you right, I've given you privilege as sons and daughters of God. How many people really walk in that privilege? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? He's asking. What is his exceeding greatness of power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set it at his own right hand in heavenly places? Stop right there. Where is he? Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He woke up. He had authority to wake up. He had the power to wake up. He told the church three days and three nights, I will wake up. The devil did not understand that. He did not accept that he would wake up. They were having a party in the pits of hell until that light, praise God, shone, hallelujah, and came down the corridor of darkness and said to the devil, hand over the keys that you stole out of the Garden of Eden. Exactly. He raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now follow. Look where he put him. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, God covered everything, but also in that which is to come. And had put all things, look at the word all, under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What, what is God saying here? God's saying, I'm king. God said, I went into the devil's house. I opened the door. And I announced my visitation. And I said, you will no longer keep my children captive. I will make you inefficient. I will dethrone you. I will be above every power, principality, ruler, and spiritual wickedness in this world because I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords, praise God. I am Jesus Christ who woke from the dead. Mm. Look what it says. Because he rose from the dead, Ephesians 2.1. Look what it says. And you, that's you, hath he quickened Ooh. who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, I was under the dominion of the kingdom of darkness. Listen carefully. I was under the powers and the principalities and the rulers and the spiritual weakness. But Jesus came. And he's above all powers and all principalities and all rulers and all spiritual weaknesses and high places. And God said, I'm going to make you inefficient in Colombo's life. I'm going to declaw you. I'm going to dethrone you. I'm going to push you out, praise God, and push him in, hallelujah, into the kingdom of light. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
Where in time past, listen up, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. What's God saying here? He's saying we used to be under the influence of Satan. We used to, he used to be our father. He was a murderer and the father of lies, and we were his children, if you want to accept that. We were, until Jesus came and made us sons and daughters of God, giving us authority, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. As king's kids. Amen. Who's walking in that? Who really believes that? Who really accepts the fact that Jesus defeated the enemy over 2,000 years ago and woke up? Listen, the poison I understand of a serpent is in the head. The poison of a serpent is in the head. What did, Jesus, what did Jesus do? The Bible says he bruised his head. That poison was stepped on. And we magnify the enemy so big in our lives. And we're always looking for the enemy coming at us. Instead of realizing that Jesus has made him inefficient and bruised his head. I stepped on that poison. He doesn't have to poison you. That's why the Bible says, praise God, that we have power over serpents and scorpions in the name of Jesus. That's why Paul was able to shake it off. Because we have the authority. And we have the privilege. And we have the right, if we exercise it, to say, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, when the serpent went on his belly... The furthest part he can get is to your heel. And all you need to do is lift up your foot and say, I see you in the name of Jesus. You, go. you see, we're not exercising the power and the right as children. We're not claiming our inheritance. We act like poor peasants in the wilderness somewhere that live in Lodibar like Mephibosheth that has no future. No. God changed my future. God changed my destiny. God changed providence in my life. It may not what I was looking for, but God put me on the course that he wanted me on, not what I wanted on. Oh, I had dreams and I had hope, but guess what? God swallowed that up and brought me to the place where he said, this is where you're going and this is what you'll be doing. Listen, what the word says. It says this in verse 6 of Ephesians 2. And hath raised us up together. Now, where is Jesus sitting? At the right hand, didn't we just say that? No. He sits at the right hand in heavenly places. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 2, 6, and hath raised us up. Who's us? That's me and you. He has raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My friend, you have position, you have influence, you have power, you have right, you have authority, you're a king's kid, you wear a crown, praise God, pull up a seat, come to the table of the Lord, because God says, I'm placing you to sit with him. What table do you think you're going to sit at the matter of supper of the lamb? You think you're going to be in the, in, in the, in, in the kitchen? You think you're going to be uh, where the help is? <laughs> are we serious or what we're going to sit with him and spiritually we sit in high places why because the bible says in colossians 2 15 having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it what's he saying 
God says, you know why I can sit in heavenly places? Because I defeated the powers of evil. Do you know why you can sit in heavenly places spiritually with me? Do you know why you have position? Do you know why you have power? Do you know why you have privilege and right and authority? Because I nailed it all to the cross. So many people live in the past. So many people just regurgitate their past. They just verbal vomit. Because they live there. Because the powers and the principalities of darkness still have a hold on them. And they don't realize their privilege in Christ that at the name of Jesus, demons tremble. But we entertain them and think that they can hold us captive when we're sons and daughters of God and we live beneath our privilege. God's saying, and having spoiled them, principalities and powers, what does that mean? It means a separation. It means to strip, for, to take the advantage away from the enemy, from the opponent, and give the advantage to God. That's what it means when God said, and having spoiled principalities, the principalities that caused us to sin, the principalities that cause us to go astray, the principalities that cause us to do our own thing. God gave us the power to cross over the river. And he says, and he made a show of them openly. What is it saying? You know, they embarrassed Jesus outside of Jerusalem. They embarrassed him. They embarrassed him in front of his family. They embarrassed him in front of his friends. They embarrassed him in front of his church. And they thought, we're done with him. They thought, when he said it is finished, they didn't understand, except the Roman soldier understood. When he gave up the ghost and said it is finished, the Roman soldier understood, the centurion soldier understood, this is the Son of God. Because that was the Roman cry when the battle was won, to stand on the highest rock you can and say, it is finished. We won the battle. We won the victory. People did not get it there. The disciples didn't get it. They scattered. They ran. They went to the upper room. They got their hamburger. They got their Coke. They got their fries and said, this is it. They're going to come for us next. But you know who came for them next? After three days and three nights, he just walked through the wall and he said, it is I. And he upbraided them for the meat that they were eating and said, I told you to meet me. He upbraided them for their hardness of heart. That's what the word says. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. He embarrassed the devil when he woke up. He embarrassed him. He stripped him, made him inefficient, triumphing over them. <laughs> we have the victory. But how many people are walking around in victory? We're so focused on our situation. We're so focused on our circumstance. We're so focused on our problem. We're so focused on the storm that when Jesus starts walking toward us, we think it's a ghost. We think it's a mirage. When someone comes and preaches the word, we say, well, that sounds good. Because we're in the boat, ducking, waiting to drown. When Jesus says, it is I. I'm always walking toward you. I'm always walking toward my church. I'm always walking toward my sons and daughters. He's a parent. Yes, he's a king. He's a Lord. He's the God. Praise God. But he's a parent. 
That's saying I'm walking toward you, child. The plan of God. He wants to reveal the plan. You see, Jesus has designed this. The Trinity designed this so that we can become sons and daughters of God. Ephesians 3.9 says this, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, who created all things by Christ, to the intent now, listen this, to this, that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the, the manifold wisdom of God. I, I want to stop here for a moment. I want you to understand something. Here's what I believe God is saying. God wants us to be aware of his authority. God wants us to be aware of his doings. And God does not want us to be ignorant of what the enemy is doing. As a matter of fact, when Paul came to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, lest Satan should get an advantage of you, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I want to stop here for a moment. Because I believe this is where a lot of Christians fail. God is not trying to hold secrets from you. God is trying to show you his eternal purpose for your life. So many people say, well, I I, I just can't figure out the will of God. You're just not listening. You're just not walking in the direction that he wants you to walk in. Because God is not trying to play a trick on you. He's He's not trying to, he's trying to unravel the mystery. Because he's taken authority over all the powers and principalities that would hold you back. And and what God is saying here, he wants the church to know what's going on. He wants us to know what's going on in the world. He wants us to know what's going on prophetically. He wants you to know what's going on in your home, in your family, in your life. He wants you to know what's going on. But so many people walk in darkness because they don't really believe that God can speak to them and give them revelation and show them what they need to see through Christ and the hand of God. What's God saying? God's saying, children, (laughs) I did all this for you. I redeemed you. I've given you eternal purpose. I I didn't just create you just to live in this world and then die. I created you to live. And as I've said to my wife this week numerous times, people are just existing. And they're not really living. We're existing. We go to work. We eat. We sleep. We get up. We do the same thing. And there's no revelation. There's no excitement. There's, there's no walking with Jesus on the dusty roads. There's, there's, there's no walking with Jesus. There, there's no uh, people in the boat with Jesus. We're not on the hillside with Jesus. Because we're so absorbed, self-absorbed. And we can't get out of our own stuff. We can't get out of our own flesh. We can't get out of our own doldrums. That's what we dwell on. And we don't dwell on the goodness and the mercies of God that are renewed every morning. Your past, whatever you did yesterday, whatever you screwed up, whatever you messed up yesterday or the day before, was nailed to the cross. Generational curses were nailed to the cross. Our past was nailed to the cross. That's why we can sit where we sit. That's where we can inherit what we inherit. You don't have to die to inherit in God's kingdom. You inherit when you become a son and daughter of God. 
people. God has given us weapons. Because he knew, I want you to follow. He knew the enemy would not just sit down on the side of the road and say, have a great time, people. So he says this in 1 Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You know what's carnal? When we try to figure it out and we try to fix it. And I've told you before, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Moses tried to fix it, killing the Egyptian. Sarah tried to fix it by sending Abraham into Hagar. It didn't work. It caused a lot of problems. And if you can only stop people in their carnal thinking and say, just wait a minute. Listen to some understanding from God. Listen to the word. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet. Listen to the wisdom and knowledge of God. People just run. And they run into a brick wall. And sometimes they keep hitting their head against that brick wall for years with no relief. For the weapons of our warfare are carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The enemy wants to come back. Those powers and principalities and rules and spiritual wickedness want to come back and influence you to bring you back. Enemy's not happy that you left. The enemy's not happy that you're in the kingdom of God. The enemy is not happy that Jesus rescued you and delivered you, praise God, through salvation. And it says this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What do you think about all the time? Are you thinking victory? Are you thinking what Jesus did for you? Or are you thinking, woe is me. Oh, look at my life. Someone please pity me. Someone just give me some attention. Someone give me some negative attention. Please, somebody. Please. Someone come into my life and agree with me. No. No. I want to come into your life in the name of Jesus. Praise God. And wake you up in the name of Jesus through preaching and teaching. And say, praise God. Let's get on with life. Let's move ahead. Let's go forward. That's the word God gave us last week. To go forward. Cross over. God is not speaking for nothing. He's trying to say something to us. This great hurricane that's coming. God wants to bring the wind back to the church. He wants to bring a spiritual hurricane back to the church. He wants to bring spiritual rain back to the church. People don't see the 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 symbolism of what's going on. That parallel, physical and spiritual run parallel as highways. He's saying prepare. Prepare for the future. We're going to be in a fight. We're going to be in a war. But we are victorious. We are winners. We are kings and queens, praise God, before God. We are kings and priests with a crown on our head that have authority and right and privilege. So what did God do? He died. He rose again. And he said, I'm going to give you... Weapons. So he told the disciples to go to the upper room. And he says, but you shall receive power, Acts 1.8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, when we became sons and daughters of God, he gave us the authority. He gave us the right. He gave us the privilege And now, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I want to give you the power to go with the privilege. I want to give you power to go 
with the influence and the authority that I've given you. You know, God can give you an eight-cylinder car and hand you the keys, but if you never start it, you have authority because you own that car and influence because you own that car, the deed's in your name, but you have no power. And a lot of people have a deed that they're a son or daughter of God, and they want to fight about the Holy Spirit. And God says, I delivered you in salvation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I rose from the dead, but now I want to do another work. I want to do something separate. I want to give you something more. It's like a parent. Okay? You don't give your kid one bowl of cereal on Monday and never give him another bowl of cereal again. And when he grows up, you got to give him a bigger bowl of cereal. And eventually you got to buy him the box because he's going to eat the whole box. Isn't it true? Beware, young parents. You're in for a ride. Save your pennies. Listen up. So God gives you a measure of the Spirit when you become a son and daughter of God. But does God want to stop there? Because John 3.34 says that God gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. Increments. More power. When we're responsible, he gives you more. When you use that privilege and right for God's kingdom, he gives you more. Elijah did a certain amount of miracles. But when Elisha asked for a double portion, go to the Bible yourself. Elisha did exactly double the miracles of Elijah. Because he asked for a double portion. (laughs) In the days of Moses, he distributed, God distributed the power over those to counsel. Some people are just saved and satisfied. That's okay. And a lot of times they get beat up. Because they don't put the key in the car and start the car and cause that eight-cylinder power of those horses to move in their behalf. So what does God say? He says, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents. Oh, wasn't that serpent in the garden? and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What's God saying? Behold, I want you to see this, he's saying. I've given you power, exousia. I've given you dunamis. I've given you the power of authority, the power of influence, the power of right, the power of privilege. You possess authority. It's a sign of regal authority. You're a king and a priest unto God. We look at ourselves as meager, misly, as the Italians used to say, miserables. You know what I'm talking about. Look, he looks like a poor miserable. What does that mean? Look at him. He's in misery. He doesn't even have a loaf of bread under his arm. Look at him. Miserable. It's the Italians used to talk. But we walk around like we don't even have a loaf of bread under our arm. When God says, I, I want to give to you. I want to bless you. Exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. What's God saying? I'm giving you power. The serpent was an emblem of cunning and wisdom. Listen, he is cunning. He is seductive. He threw this whole thing into a cataclysmic earthquake. I'm not saying he doesn't have power and influence. But God says, behold, I give unto you power to tread on. Thank you. In the name of Jesus... Demons tremble. Thank you. 
To tread on, what does it mean? To trample, to crush with the feet. To advance by setting foot upon, tread upon. To encounter successfully the greatest perils from the machinations and persecutions which Satan would fain toward, toward the preaching of the gospel. It means to hit as if by a single blow. To strike, to smite, to strike or wound with a sting. We are the boxers spiritually in the ring. And when the enemy comes with his machinations, God saying, I'm giving you power to tread upon surface. Pow! 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 Knock him out! Give him a left! Give him a right! God! Praise God! But you know what most people do? <laughs> I'm going through a hard time, and I'm not trying to minimize going through a hard time, but my God, when do we give it up? Come on, world, feel sorry for me. Come on, somebody. You know, sometimes we've all have gotten knocked down in life. I don't know where you were raised or born. Sometimes they would have to carry me home and put me on the doorstep of my mother. And my mother didn't have kind words for me because she said it was your own DAM fault. It's my mother. It's my mother. Sympathy? Seriously? No, not then. Because when you were growing up in the city, you had to be tough. I went to school every day, and Michael was waiting for me. I told you. Threw me in the bush every morning, every morning. Until one day I got out of bed and I said, you know what, today, Michael, you're going in the hedges. And of all the days when I decided to throw Michael in the hedges... All the days that he threw me in the hedges, his mother never looked out the screen door. But that day, when I turned on him, when I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, when I started to grow up and put on my own boots, praise God, and fight my own battles, I said, praise God, I wasn't a Christian then. Michael, it's your turn. That's right. And Michael went in the bushes. And his mother came out that screen door screaming at me and what a bully I was. Man, you didn't see what your son's been doing to me since the first day of school. <laughs> it's kind of like that seminar we went to in Syracuse with all the men one time. and The preacher, he said, Dad, uh, I'm going to talk to you. And he said, what's that, son? He said, you know, Dad, there's a kid in school. He's, he's just, he just, he's a bully. Oh, he said, yeah, really? Yeah, he said, giving you a hard time, son? Yeah, he's, Yes, Dad, he's, he's pushing me around. He said, son, I want to tell you something. Now, you never tell your mother, but I want to tell you. <laughs> now, you know Dad's a preacher. And Dad's a pastor. You know, you know my standard, right? He said, you never tell your mama what I'm telling you right now. The next time, the next time he does that, I want you to haul off, and I want you to whack him. You understand what I'm saying, son? But you don't tell your mama that I told you that. You understand? We got it? Yes, Dad. And I said, you know what, son? He will never bother you again. You see, it's the same thing with the enemy. He wants us. He hates the fact that we worship. He hates the fact that we love God. He hates the fact that we bring problems to Abba, to Daddy. He hates it. He doesn't like it. He wants us back. 
Because he knows his time is short. And he says, God says, and I give you all power over the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What's God saying? Jesus gives us the authority to fulfill Acts chapter 1 verse 8 because he gives us the power or the ability of God to perform. We don't step out in fate and fight back. We stand in the corner and get beat up. We listen to negative thoughts. We listen to people that don't even know what they're talking about. Listen, the book of Hebrews says there's many voices in the earth. I'm so sick of voices. I'm so sick of sportscasters. I'm so sick of news people sitting behind a desk pontificating like they know what's going on. I'm so sick of lies. I'm so sick of it. The only thing I can really count on is the word. That's the voice. He says, my sheep hear my voice. But how many people listen to all these other voices? And those voices cause them to cave in like a tent. And some even destroy their own lives believing lies. Because that poison from the serpent's head is spewing out. That spirit, that python spirit, that demonic spirit is taking the breath out of God's people, wrapping itself around us spiritually and squeezing the breath out of us. And all we're doing is dwelling on our problems and our situation instead of saying, Lord, lead me and guide me. Somehow, if we place our hand in the hand of God, he will get us to the other side. Listen. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them and said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus gives us the power to preach. He gives us the power and the authority to witness and to tell other people about Jesus. Follow this. I became a son and daughter of God because of what God did through Jesus. Amen. And in 1 John chapter 4, it says this. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Listen to verse 4. Very important. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Overcome what? Those Antichrist spirits. Those spirits that want to come into your life and take you down. Those spirits that want you to think about what you did in the past. You messed up. You screwed up. Whatever. They want you to dwell on that. They want to take you out. Take you down. And suck the life out of you. But here's what God said in 1 John 4 and 4. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater. Greater. There's nothing. There's nothing that's more powerful than God. There's nothing 
that can overtake us if we desire to choose God. There's nothing that can take you out. If you truly believe that greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. You see, the wind is trying to blow again in the church. The wind is trying to blow again in our families. But people have gotten into this place of malaise. They've got into this place of habit, doing the same thing over and over, and not relying on God's word. That's our comfort. Whatever we're going through, whatever trial, tribulation, follow me here. The Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 1 and, and verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, where? And heavenly places in Christ. Come on. The inheritance began when you became born again. The inheritance started flowing. The window opened. Praise God. The door. He is the door. He said, I am the door. Opened. When you turned the doorknob, when he knocked, and he came into your heart. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what we've done. If we come to him daily and say, God, I need some help. There's no long prayers. There's no asking 10 people what I should do. That comes later if God directs you. But it's, Lord, I got a situation here. And the enemy is trying to plague me. He's trying to take me out. He's trying to destroy my home, my family, my spirit. He's trying to take away my worship, my song, and my mouth that you gave me. Lord, don't let it happen. And God is re- going to reply to you. Now, I want you to follow this as I close. This is a revelation. In Matthew 16, 18, I say un- also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, Peter, that was Petros, that was a little rock. The Bible calls us all lively stones. Okay? Listen to what the Lord says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Stop right there. God says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word prevail means to be strong to another's detriment. I'll explain. To prevail against, to be superior in strength and to overcome. It's kind of like football. You have an offensive line and you have a defensive line. For so long, the church has been duped into believing that Satan has all of this power that we cannot overcome. When Jesus came by and he said, he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Follow this. In the HCSB version, it says, I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. And then in the message version, it says this. And now I'm going to tell you who you are really are. You are Peter, a rock, a small rock in Greek. And he says this. This is the rock in which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Now wait a minute. Hold it. For so long we've had these gates of hell coming against us. When God's saying, you're the offensive line. 
Look what it says in the last part. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. How many times have you said, heard me say this as a pastor preaching? That in the last day I believe that we will do doors, miracles on the doorstep of the devil. Listen, this is exactly what this means. Okay, The enemy is not going to keep us out from overcoming powers, principalities, rulers, and spiritual wickedness like Jesus walked into the strong man's house. Praise God, under the anointing of God, we can walk into the strong man's house and disarm him and put spiritual handcuffs on him and throw him somewhere where he doesn't belong, praise God, in our lives and say, in the name of Jesus, I have power over you. Isaiah said in Isaiah 59 and 19, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. Now the enemy is not going to stand still while we're on the offense. He's going to come. And it says, And when the enemy shall come in like a flood, listen to what it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall raise up, lift up a standard against him. That means to put up a fight. The Spirit of the Lord. Okay? Look what it says in Isaiah 59, 19. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Now, the enemy in Hebrew means this. It means a narrow and tight place. It means one that causes distress and an adversary. It means to walk with a hard pebble or a sharp stone pressed into your shoe, which is very uncomfortable. That's what it means in the Hebrew. It means a knife. It means to show hostility toward. It means to vex us, harass us, assault us, besiege us, and try to enclose us. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying this. We're going to go against the enemy offensively. But the enemy is not going to stand still. He's going to come back at us. And it says like this. What does it say? When the enemy shall come in like a flood. You know a flood is a very potent body of water. Okay? And a flood can kill. And a flood can drown. But look what God says. Look what it says. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord mm, shall lift up a standard, praise God, against him. What does it mean? It means the Spirit of the Lord will come against him and attack him. Now we become defensive. But we come defensive with the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord shall attack him and praise God. The flood, which is the, the assembly, the powers, the principalities, the machinations, the devices of enemy to take us down and to work against us. God's saying this. The Spirit of the Lord, which is the breath of God. Follow, please. A violent exaltation. And a, it's, it's, it's an ex, God ex, exhaling in a violent way. It's the Lord's anger. The, the word, the spirit of the Lord, the phrase means a blast, a tempest, a whirlwind. It means to blow like the big, big bad wolf. Follow. It means to smell or to perceive and to anticipate. It's almost like God is saying this. It's like God is salivating 
to thwart off the attempts and the assaults of the enemy against our life. It's like God is saying, come on, I'm waiting for you. Come on, I'm in the middle of the ring and I know you're going to try to hurt my children because we've come against you offensively. We came against the enemy offensively this morning by worshiping God, by praising God, by giving God glory. And now the enemy will try to come back on you like a flood. But God says, I'm salivating. I can't wait to whip you again. That's why a boxer has a counterpunch. Right. <laughs> oh, I love this. He already knows the enemy's plan. God knows your eternal purpose. Right. And he enjoys coming to our aid and blasting the enemy. <laughs> it's kind of like kids that play soldiers. You got the good guys and you got the bad guys. And those kids can't wait to blow up the bad guys. They can't wait to blow up the fort. They just can't wait. Wait. We blow up the enemy spiritually. Because God has not given us carnal weapons, but he's given us weapons of warfare. What is God saying? He's our victory. And in very tense moments, when the enemy is coming against us, God said, I will defend you. I will lift up a stand. Let him come like a flood. Because the Bible says in Psalm 29, he's the king that rides the flood. Praise God. Hallelujah. Just get in the boat, my friend. Get in the boat, son and daughter. Get in the boat, child of God. And God said, I'll ride the flood with you. And we will get to the other side. Because God is our defense. God is our shield. God is our buckler. Praise God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Praise God. God bless you. And thank you for listening. Thank you.